1: Welcome to the Next Reels Speakeasy, part of the True Story FM Entertainment Network. I'm Andy Nelson, and that over there is Pete Wright. Hello, Pete Wright. Wait, I'm Pete Wright. On the Next Reels Speakeasy, we invite a guest from the industry to join us, and instead of serving up their favorite cocktails, they serve up movies that they love so that we can all talk about them. We'd like to welcome our guest to this episode, cinematographer Tammy Riker. Hello, Tammy.
2: Hi, how are you?
1: Legendary
0: Tammy Riker. That was you undersold... Tammy (laughs) Reikner,
1: yeah, that's true. Award-winning cinematographer, the the first woman to win the American Cinematographers Award for, uh, I believe, was the the premiere episode of Carnival. Is that correct?
2: Yes, that's correct. Carnival,
1: and um, certainly somebody who has done a lot of uh, TV film work. Um, How did you get your start as a a cinematographer? Like, what was the thing that the impetus in your life that said that's what I want to do, and, and got going with it.
2: Well, I started with a passion for still photography. I mean, I did still photography since, you know, I don't know. I think I got my camera when I was 10 and spent the last two years of high school in the dark room every day. Um, And it was funny. I went to a, a school where you had to wear uniforms. We wore kilts. And I spent so much time (laughs) (laughs) wiping my hands on my kilt that it was stiff as a board. (laughs) It's destroyed. understand how it looked like that. There was no more (laughs) place left. (laughs) Uh, So then I went to NYU film school and thought, you know, I wanted to study film. I still was doing, taking uh, photography classes at the new school, but quickly fell in love with shooting films. And started shooting student films. And after I graduated, shot actually a lot of Columbia grad films. that's where I met Lisa Cholodinko, Maria Magenti, and quite a few. There was a whole collective in that indie New York world. Then Tamra Jenkins, Dolly Hall
1: some of those early films you did like the incredible, incredibly true adventures of two girls in love and high art. Uh, Those are two of those early films that you did that, um, you know, had had a good amount of kind of buzz and and conversations in the, uh, the indie film world back in the mid nineties that um, certainly um, drew attention. And I'm sure for you, it was a great kind of uh, jumping off point for, for moving into other, other projects, right?
2: Oh yeah, definitely. High art, uh, definitely. Sort of what kicked my career into gear, you know, I was shooting a lot of films back in that time period, also the indie film world, every band had a a music video, and that's where I also got my start. I bought uh, a sixteen millimeter camera an s r one because I had been working as an assistant professionally just for a little while, and i I was like i don't want to keep doing this i gotta I gotta get this <laughs> rolling <laughs> so. I borrowed money and bought uh, a camera and I would just, you know, I'd be like, you pay me or pay for the camera, either one or pay neither one. <laughs> <And> <laughs> shot hundreds of music videos all over the world. It was, really? that was a fascinating. It was really fun. I, I I had a connection in Jamaica and shot a lot of reggae videos. I'd fly down with my camera and uh, shoot all kinds of music videos. It's
1: funny, the, um, I you know, IMDb, kind of has started getting music videos listed, but it still is very thin as far as what's on there. The only one that, that is on there is the I Miss You video for Bjork.
2: Right, isn't that funny? <laughs> <laughs> of all the, I mean, I've had videos for David Bowie, I mean, so many people, and that's the one that ends up, or, or Lifestyles of the Ramones. <laughs> yeah,
0: right, right. Well, you know, what's so funny is that, like, it invariably, it doesn't really matter, how uh, um, how many videos you've done. If there's a Bjork video for a DP, it's going to be in the IMDb page. For some reason, <laughs> Bjork is is like catnip for IMDb. Oh, yeah,
2: <laughs> I love Bjork. That was such an I could just tell you a funny story about that, too. So she had been traveling, I, I'm, as she always, I'm sure, does, all over. And she comes to set, and the director was like, I don't like what she's wearing. And she was like, Tammy, why don't you just look at my suitcase? And she opens that, she brings me in the she pops open this suitcase from months of traveling and she's like, pick something. (laughs) (laughs) I'm rifling her her unwashed clothes, (laughs) the right color t shirt for her to wear. It was so funny.
0: You know, I I'm curious as we as we get into specifically, you know, we're going to be talking about this this movie, uh, uh, John Cassavetes' "A Woman Under the Influence," and it's the movie you picked to talk about. And I I'm curious as we sort of lean into that conversation when you began to use camera to influence story and the way story impacts others. I and you know, noticing your work across the ages, there are there are DPs that that shoot the the script and there are dps that that have an influence on the way the story impacts the viewer and i i find very much you are the latter from from my experience of watching your work whether it's tv videos whatever when did when did you realize you had authority in the storytelling process
2: that would be high art yeah i mean before then it definitely you know on student films and music videos especially on student films you are a huge part of it you are the backbone the cheerleader that, you know you're like the glue because there's not very many you know your crew's small, so you're uh you're the cheerleader for the director you're like piecing it all together, so you have an influence, but it was on high art when Lisa and i that 's where I first really studied women under the influence. We watched that movie like twenty times we were just in love with that film and that style and and how it can be the camera work can be in a way so simple, but have such a great impact, you know, it's all handheld and it's just being in the moment and following. I think a lot of times filmmakers get hung up and we have to have dollies and cranes and this and that, and you watch that film, and you're like, and you see these pictures from stills from the film, and you just see, you know, the cameraman in the corner of the living room, or I, mean, I think it's Cassavetes in the back of the truck with the kids, with his kids. Right, in the right. right. <laughs> in it. And that's what I love so much is just being in it, you know, and following the action. And there's so much movement in that film, you know.
1: As a comparison point, um, one of the more recent films that you did was One Night in Miami, which also takes place in a space <laughs> largely. <Yeah. laughs> and I think it's just very interesting hearing hearing the uh, the way that you described that and how they captured that with the decision process that you went through is how you shot that. And you're like, we're in this space, but I really want to put the camera up on a jib arm and have it so it's kind of floating around as opposed to a handheld option. And I mean, you could certainly have gone that route, but I think that there was something, um, I, I don't know, I guess, uh, it, I don't the way that it, it felt like it put me into the space in the floating. It just felt a little more like, um, I don't know, less um, obtrusive. And and I don't know if that's the right word, but you know, I felt like I was more part of the conversation as opposed to like, you know, part of the, like the raw emotion of the scene. Was that an element that you thought about as far as like how you chose that as opposed to something like handheld?
2: We, we, well, Regina and I, you know, that was not, she did not want it to be handheld, just the boxing, you know, and, and, just the whole time period and the four of them in such a tight space. And then the decision to shoot Alexa 65, which is a very large heavy camera. But again, I wanted to be in that little space. And so we chose, you know, you know, they're older jib arms. They've been around forever, just a big piece of steel, but you float and move with them and it gives the operator the, the control, you know, you're there to, to react. And, and to keep shifting the perspectives. And um, so that, you know, that was, we had these two massive pieces of steel crammed in this little room and it worked. <laughs> it was just a dance. And it was that you could hear a pen drop after each take. I mean, everyone was so, and we did again, like women under the influence, they weren't always cut that way, but we did 10 minute takes because the script had so much dialogue.
1: Yeah, it makes sense.
2: And and like that dinner table scene Women and Woman under the Influence, I mean, it just holds for so long. <laughs> <laughs> it's fascinating how that's something that like we forget as filmmakers. It's why I love to watch this film with directors before we start shooting to just remember how engaging it can be just to hold.
1: Let's, um, let's start talking about that. We are going to talk a little bit about the TV show that, that you uh, worked on that's uh, going to be airing right right around now on Apple TV+, uh, Surface, uh, that Gugu Mbatha-Raw is starring in, who you also worked with on Beyond the Lights, a fantastic film. Um, but let's, let's save that for a little bit later. I want to get into this film, A Woman Under the Influence, and just kind of talk about it a little more. This is Mabel. I
2: out
0: of you, eh? Uh,
2: For, uh, you know everybody, there's Mabel for everybody. Mabel! Mabel! Mabel, Mabel. Mabel's not crazy. She's unusual.
1: Tell me what you want me to be, how you want me to be.
0: I can be that. I can be
2: anything. You tell me. Mabel's a delicate, sensitive woman. Hmm. And the reason I'm worried is that you've been acting a little strange. I I, I wonder if you've been aware of that or not. This is what I call a really handsome face. That's enough. Okay, come on, let's do it. No, no, no.
0: Look at this muscle. That's enough. I never saw such muscles. I bet he didn't fit in suit. Come on. You had your fun, that's enough. Get your ass down.
2: I like your friends.
0: I know it. I know that. I'm not
1: this I mean it's a challenging film and and looking at what John Cassavetes is doing in the way that he's kind of depicting the the uh, the mental illness or as they would just say you know I'm crazy whatever um it's I mean the handheld Aspect of the storytelling works exceptionally well for that. The performances, of course, and Casavetti's own style—all of it really comes together in a very kind of powerful way in this film. And I can see how it's something that you would be drawn to. It's a tough film to to watch, though, and like to go through. I, uh, you know, I I imagine it's one that you for me. I feel like I need a breather afterward. Yeah,
2: definitely. You know what? It was funny watching it again. I watched it again last night, and I thought wow as i get older and being a mom it's heavier and heavier for me I think like when i was 25 i was like wow this is great you know yeah. <laughs> you're not really feeling her pain you're as much as you get older and you have more experience and you have your own children and suddenly like it's just ah at the end and then the, just the cycle of it's just going to keep going on i personally just you feel for her so much more <laughs>
0: feel for her and for him and for the mom and i mean everybody in 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 here and i think you know when you when i look at this film i i it's hard to characterize my feelings about it because i love the film and i don't enjoy the story i it it's hard it's it's hard enough to watch that when i'm watching it i'm watching it because i marvel at the performative aspects of this film that this other human being can take me to such a place w- through just performance and just raw emotion, both f- uh, for, for Peter Falk, too, as, as the blue collar dad, just trying to exist in this universe of such emotional and, and sort of behavioral turmoil. Uh, that struggle is extraordinary and that they capture it with such long lenses is Amazing to me right because it it's it, normally i'm looking at these scenes and i 'm thinking i'm i'm sort of a part of it right i'm you know the, the one night in Miami example is is fantastic because I feel when I watch that movie like i 'm in there with those guys right i'm i'm in the room wit- bearing witness, and this I feel like i'm surveying the family like i am i am outside like outside a window staring past a shoulder and it's it, it is you know gets to that point I was trying to to get to earlier, using the camera to To As an agent in the storytelling, this movie nails it just out of the park.
2: Uh, And it's just watching it. I mean, so when they're having their fights and oh, when she slaps, you know, when he slaps her in front of the children, but also the in and out of focus and they're just, you know, people are falling in and out. And sometimes it's so beautiful. She's actually very soft in the background and she's the one talking, you know, until it slowly racks in you just feel like they were just fly on the wall living in the chaos of it all in that small house doesn't seem like very big at all. right right dining room bedroom choice <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: yeah that I, that didn't that didn't make sense uh, un, until the closing shot, the credits shot, when the world just sort of resolves back to normal and they start pulling the furniture around. Yes. <laughs> you start making sense of how the how the scene is blocked. What is it about that that film? Like, I, I'm I'm so curious uh, the the reaction that you have with directors when you introduce the film as a way to describe sort of the way you see film.
2: I mean, I, I would say it's very interesting because. It- First, maybe they're hesitant, like, I don't, we're not going to do long takes like this, you know, but you're like explaining that it's just, just, that the story can play and that that you can just follow characters and you get, and it becomes so alive, you know, as opposed to, like I said, the, the, the Dolly track and the over overs and characters can speak and you don't have to see their face. We know they're in the room, you know, we can hold. You know, you you feel in this film. I don't know, but you feel like you know they didn't cover everybody's line, <laughs> right. right? And yeah. that you know, and that's another thing. Just show you know you don't have to cover everybody's line. You get really caught up in you know, did everybody get their wide, medium, tight?
1: <laughs> yeah. Right. I get a sense from conversations now about the film that you know they did a lot of rehearsal it wasn't it wasn't improv um they they actually really had kind of worked it all out but the way that the camera moves and everything it really feels um very uh it feels improvised it feels like the camera person is just trying to find the shot and and everything and i don't know i guess that really struck me when it was the two of them in this stairwell and they're kind of silhouetted and uh you know and he's talking to her and it's just uh, but we just get end up getting so close that it almost is like they're blended together it's like who am i looking at and the way that it was um it just kind of like um, you get this sense of these two characters are really kind of the same. You know, it's, it's this husband wife being that they are. But it, I don't know, just the way that that came together, it was, I mean, it was really beautiful in how it kind of portrayed a relationship and the struggles of a relationship and kind of this whole idea that, you know, we all have a little bit of madness in us. And that was something I found so interesting in the film is the, the portrayal of, um, madness and the decision of who's mad and who's not or who is who's suffering from some form of mental illness and who's not and uh, the way that we kind of latch onto her as the person who's really kind of dealing with this sort of stuff and the decision to send her off to this uh, institution um, when you kind of read that everybody has these things and i think so much of that for me comes partly from the title a woman under the influence i, I because mean because Uh, you know, before I had ever seen this film, I always thought it was about a woman who was suffering through alcoholism. It's just, it's substance abuse. Right. And then I, when I watched it, I'm like, Oh, okay. And then I was like, well, that's an interesting title. I guess it's really about like, you know, all of these influences that she is taking on and she's trying to figure out what do you want me to be? And she says that she's like, I don't know who to be. I found that to be such an interesting portrayal of this woman trying to figure herself out. And, 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 but through the lens of the other people and, and how that, to them, ended up making it seem like she was mad.
2: Right, right. Through, yeah, her parents and her children and right,
1: yeah. and her husband and, and her husband's friends when they come over.
2: Right. And all of their influence on him, so tell, you know, that she's crazy. Yeah.
0: yeah. I was surprised, surprised, not surprised uh, to hear that, that Casavetes had originally uh, written this as a play because uh, apparently Gina Rollins wanted to to be in something about exactly these pressures on modern women at the time and then couldn't possibly imagine doing eight shows a week and so they pivoted and decided to to go for it as a film that is you know it, one of the things i think is so so remarkable about how the film is presented to us is that at no point do i get a sense of proscenium in the house right at no point does it ever feel like a play it feels like i'm living in this house with these people do you ever get a sense of that when you look at these adaptations from play to screen
2: oh definitely I and mean, mammy was yeah and that's it's so daunting when you first read the script it was i mean you know pages and pages and pages of straight dialogue without a single movement
0: but again i don't i don't ever get a sense of proscenium in that in in one night in miami not not once does it feel like i'm on i'm i'm watching an adaptation what goes into your head when you're when you're looking at how to shoot it
2: i mean a lot of that was working you know kemp did a great job of bringing you inside and outside the hotel sure when we were shooting that was really important us to keep that sense that there was a world outside you know so that it didn't start to feel like a play we it was funny when we were uh starting prep I said it, would it be important for me to should I watch the play because they had you know recordings of it and they were like not nah, really but you can <laughs> and I watched it and you're like no there's nothing it's so nothing you know <laughs> okay
1: um so uh, speaking of directors and I mean like you had worked with a number of different directors, but looking at at Cassavetes as a director, like when you look at something that Cassavetes has done, um, what do you, I mean, and he's also acted, I mean, he's a very prolific uh, storyteller in in all the different uh, fields. But when you look at something like this, what do you feel like as the director, he's bringing to the table and and kind of um, putting into this story for you?
2: Oh, I think orchestrating it all. You just imagine how intense that must have been You know, I almost imagine him like, you know, sometimes when the camera was so, you know, nudging the cameraman or something just to (laughs) keep the chaos going or forcing them like you're going to stand in the stairwell and (laughs) this is how it's going to be, you know, (laughs) you feel his hand in it all.
1: And I think in the script, too. And that's something that I, I think that I am fairly weak on my Cassavetes, um film knowledge. I need to watch more of Cassavetti's films. Um, but I find when I do watch them, I enjoy that they have such an intimate, connected feel with the characters and that's something that i i really get out of watching his projects Uh, particularly with jenna Rollins and peter falk two people that obviously he worked with a number of times Um, let's talk a little bit more about the performances in the film Um, what when you watch these two as a husband and wife uh like what are your what are you taking away from from them as as like what are the the performances and, and what are the actors giving
2: well, I, I mean, this time around, I was just because usually I'm so in love with Gina shifted <laughs> to just uh, Peter Fox, incredible performance, you know, yeah. I think in your first couple viewings, you're so in awe of her and her character and her tics and her mannerisms and and how stunningly beautiful she is. And, um, but this time I was really focusing on Peter Falk and it just incredible his acting and those slaps that just still are come out of nowhere. Just so jarring. and feels so violent.
0: it's funny you would look at the like the title of the film a woman under the influence it's like on second viewing you realize everyone's under the influence like he doesn't know how to support her and this family anymore right you could just feel him running out of just sort of institutional gas yes
2: oh and when he's in the truck giving the kids beers and you're
0: (laughs) oh god the way he's like i'm gonna go to the beach and he's just like dragging them to the beach there's no joy and the
2: the principal like watching them being loaded into (laughs) the back of the truck <laughs>
0: right, right. It's just awful. It's like everyone in this movie is feels put upon by the weight of life. Right, and yes. and I, yes. I, it is
2: or when he's dragging the mother into bed. Get in the bed. Get in. The bed, you know, and right. he was just like this, like look on her face, like the whole family's crazy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and that, yeah. that comes across you know something that i um we used to we would do periodically on the show that i think is interesting is we would call it first shot last shot where you look at like the first and last shots of the film it's always a little tricky but i do think it's interesting as to like how a filmmaker decides this is how i want to start the film and this is how i want to end the film i think that it's i, I think there's something obviously they have to make that decision in the context of the story at some point point. and for this film you know Cassavetti's kind of starts with nick at work we you see him and all of his his crewmates, like, um, I don't know, they're, they're laying the, the pipes in the waterway, doing some sort of work as to what they do. And you hear it starts off with some opera, and then it kind of turns into some, some of the kind of the piano music. And so we get a sense of Nick's, like, external world. And I, I, I thought it was interesting that we start externally. And then at the end of the film, we end with the two of them, Nick and Mabel, as their putting their room together. We've already kind of mentioned that, but it's like they're they've they've gone through the horrific dinner <laughs> where they had to boot everyone and all that. And um and they're starting to kind of like they've they've reconciled and they're kind of putting everything together, and I love especially the moment where Nick kind of shuts the doors on us, on the camera. It's outside. Shuts the 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 curtains and we're kind of seeing the last few shots of them Um, separated from us as they're kind of reconnecting and everything. But I found that to be such an interesting way to kind of start in the film. Did you have any thoughts on that as to like the structure of that?
2: No, but when you were talking, I was just thinking about the role of that bed in the film. I mean, it's so incredible. Like, I mean, she sleeps with the guy from the bar in the bed and the whole family's (laughs) in the bed. That bed is just such a presence because it's in the dining room.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you can't avoid it.
2: You can't avoid it, and it—it's just such an anchor in their life. And it's downstairs. Normally, you know, your bed would be upstairs. You wouldn't. It would take a reason to be in that. You know, here it was constantly in the. I,
0: I think structurally, Andy, you—you you, the 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 sort of chaos of the opening scene. Uh, there's water everywhere. You 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 can feel, uh, Falks, just feeling just awful about himself that he had made this promise that he was going to be at home with his wife that he was going to just but now he can't because you know he's the foreman of a construction crew and the world does not wait for dates uh and so he's he's dealing with all of it it's just chaos it's absolute chaos and then at the end they come they're coming down the stairs they're leading into that final experience of them getting ready for bed and she turns and in the the voice of clarity that we have not heard from her the entire movie from opening frame of her she says you know i don't even know with all this started like (laughs) she she has this moment of awareness that that i felt like i was being slapped like of course of course when they're alone together and all of the outside influences have been peeled away and everyone's finally in bed that she is able to breathe again and use a voice that is more natural to him and remind us for the first time why he keeps coming back to her why their love endures that is i will now get off my soapbox about the the moment (laughs) of joy at the end of this movie but i found it i found that that you know you talk about first shot last shot those constraints uh incredibly moving
2: i also like in that moment also at the end there you also feel like you wonder what you know throughout the film. You're wondering what she was like when they first met. You know, yeah. you get that feeling in that moment that you know it always toggled back and forth. Right, a little extreme for a while.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> a little bit. Well, and I I like that you get the sense that, and I think this is something that feels cassavetti's where things aren't necessarily, like, this isn't just a, just a happy ending of a movie. Like, it doesn't just end. I felt like when we got to that end, it will continue. Like, there is more of the story, and they will just kind of continue on. And, you know, these sorts of things may happen again. But if we learned anything from the process of going through this with these two characters, is they have a genuine love for each other and are going to figure it out. And that's something that I, I felt really powerful in the film, is that sense of, um, you know, I guess I would say sense of hope in the film, you know? It's funny. I told my wife
0: what this was about, and I said, no, the end is hopeful. The end is hopeful. You'll get there. It'll pay off. She said, screw
1: you. I'm not watching this movie. (laughs) It is a long film. It is definitely a long film.
2: It is a long film,
1: yeah. Yeah. Um, It was interesting to see that, I mean, Pete, you talked about the whole idea of it being a play, and then, and Rollins was just like, I don't think I can perform that. You know that many times a week, it's a lot to go through, and so they shifted to to the film, and it was and I guess this is you know telling and you know frustrating with the way that the world works, but they had a really difficult time finding funding. Um, as uh, somebody, one of the producers or the the people at a studio that Cassavetes talked to, he was trying to get it, and he the the person said, "quote No one wants to see a crazy middle aged dame." Um, And I just think that's just so sad when you hear things like that, because it's just like, come on, people. Come on, people. Um, So he had to mortgage his house, borrow a bunch of money. And Peter Falk actually loved the script so much that he put uh, $500,000 into the project. And then... Cassavetes was uh, like a filmmaker in residence at the AFI and used a bunch of the um, the students there to kind of come and help out on the crew uh, pro bono and so it was one of these I mean it felt, it, it, everything sounds so independent and you know I always love that when people come together to do something that they're passionate about And uh, but then of course the whole thing fell to the distribution and again no one wanted to distribute the film and what was interesting is after it played at the New York Film Festival uh, he ended up essentially starting the four wall process this it sounds like this was one of the first films where he was actually booking it in these art house theaters going around and talking with the audiences and stuff and and that's kind of how the film um played out in the world which i i found to be uh, very interesting in the process of of kind of doing some of your own independent films have you kind of um felt some of that pain tammy as you've kind of gone through
2: oh absolutely yeah (laughs) And then it, but then it's so incredible when they become, you know, like the high art and two girls in love, Dolly Hall, were just playing at the Beverly, the new Beverly. They had a retrospective back to back. Oh, and nice. It was so exciting to see all these young, mostly women, young women come <laughs> and just. They see it for the first time, or they'd seen it on you know video and but those those two films, especially, were oh, just such a labor of love. I mean, two girls in love was fifty thousand dollar budget, you know wow, my yeah. art was five hundred thousand
1: wow, and that was uh i both of those were filmed
2: and both of those yeah, yeah, or and then something like Pieces of April, and that was a hundred and fifty thousand dollars shot wow. on those Sony. remember Gary Winick started. That's a whole um, independent movie. He made those collectives. So they were all shot on the Sony pd one hundred and fifty, literally held in the palm of your hand. Sure. And, and and that film still plays. Like so many people will tell me, oh, I love pieces of paper. We watch it every Thanksgiving. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> And when I tell young people today, I'm like, so when Katie Holmes was walking towards me, I had to, I had to, Stop the autofocus. You know, like it was that was the focus. It was literally like shooting, you know, like with your phone. That's how simplistic that.
0: <laughs> That's fantastic. Those kind of
2: films are so fun.
0: You know, of course, you could still get that camera used, and it only has a three star rating on Amazon, Tammy. It's not a great <laughs>
1: camera. <laughs> Well, it's all in how the how the cinematographer uses it. Right. That's right. That's right. That's what it's all about. Going back to this film, as far as kind of this story here. Another element that I found interesting is that in the process of kind of like the trying to get the the release, uh, you know, screening it and everything, um, Richard Dreyfuss, actually, uh, he was um, on a, a TV talk show with Peter Falk, and they actually started talking about the movie. And I didn't know this, but Richard Dreyfuss uh, deals with bipolar uh, issues. And I guess it, he found it to be very... Powerful, and he said it was the most incredible, disturbing, scary, brilliant, dark, sad, depressing movie. And said I went crazy. I went home and vomited. <laughs> Which I, I I think that you know, when you watch a film like this, you can see how this reaction could come about because it. I mean, it really does put you into the heads of these these characters. Uh, it was very powerful, but that's something else that helped kind of draw audiences to uh, to the movie. And I, I think it makes for uh, an interesting. Uh, draw to find people or to get people to want to come see this everyone wants to see what
0: Dreyfus w- what will make Dreyfus throw up, although I get the feeling that he could throw up anytime he wants <laughs>
2: <laughs> favorite scene in the movie it's a tiny she is waiting for her walk waiting for the bus it 's just so beautiful and so well shot and simple she 's walking up and down the street waiting for that school bus in that in her manic kind of panic walk and that long lens and it just it was brilliant, I thought. You could just watch it forever. Her like pace
0: there were. Uh, what, was this the same scene where she's talking? She's asking strangers for the time. Yes, yeah. yes, yes.
2: I'm waiting for my kids. Yeah.
0: Frenetic. Don't you have a damn watch? Like yelling at people, it makes me wonder. And you know, it dusk
2: and yeah. And then they're the only kids on the bus when they. Find yeah. Them,
0: you know? <laughs> it, it does make me wonder. It feels so naturally. Casavetti's like. The, the, I'm. I'm assuming that he was just across the street, and those people were just people, right? That he. That she was just asking strangers. Strangers.
2: It's certainly out like that like sh- they they had a you know a camera hidden in a in a in a box or hidden somewhere and it was just amazing i love those shots where they hide a camera and
0: oh so good
2: the world coming around you
1: those two women were actually friends of Je- of jenna's so oh, well they-, <laughs> they play the uh extraordinary stranger part very very well <laughs> I, you know I would
0: add, one of the things you said earlier tammy is just that how how long you know, Cassavetti's waits for these shots. And she's like, like, that dinner table shot, how long it is. The other thing he operates at the other end of the spectrum too. And, and the way he handles cutting is extraordinary. That doctor scene when they're trying to sedate her and she keeps, you know, raising her fists and punching and all that. It's so fantastic. The final scene, the final shot of that scene, the doctor says, I have a paper here that says, and he cuts. and, that is another scene that feels like, you know, somebody just slammed on the brakes and the seatbelts locked up for me because, of course, I know how they're going to finish that sentence. Right. Of course, they've built up to that perfectly, but they don't let us see it. And it, it is just it's a magical bit of treachery, like visual treachery uh, that that just it, it just works.
1: Well, and just I mean, speaking of those scenes, I think both of these scenes are a, a, a powerful examples of just what. Uh, the the actors are bringing to the table I mean watching her go through both and they're interesting contrast in scenes because in in the manic kind of like panic that she has when she's waiting for her kids on the street um she just there's like this sense of um real like confusion and like what is going on with the world where's the bus and like she's it's it almost is like you know there's this sense that she you know, thinks like, did my kids get on the wrong bus? Where are they? Like, she is so panicked about it, um, and she's just waiting for the regular bus to arrive. And it's just, it's interesting the way that plays in comparison to that scene that you were just talking about, Pete, where she's, um, she is a- actively kind of being like attacked and like held down so that they can uh, take her away and sedate her and okay. stuff. And it's
2: cornered, yeah,
1: yeah. She's very much cornered, and it's it's horrific. And actually, that scene plays really interesting the way that. Uh, I loved Peter Falk and the kids in that scene, (laughs) how he cannot get those kids to leave the mom. And he keeps like, you know, grabbing the kids and taking them to their room and they keep running back. back. (laughs) But the way that he had to like, figure it out and come around to the different way to approach the scene with the kids and have her come up. And it's just like everything, it was, it was masterful the way that that story unfolded through that and the way that the actors, and this is something that I think Cassavetes really knows how to do is to allow a scene to play where the actors go through so many ranges over the course of it. It was, it was a wild ride for sure.
0: Can we talk about, can we talk about new stuff? Yeah. Do we we get to talk about new stuff? I'm very hey, excited for the new stuff, Tammy.
1: So, yeah, so so what was... Uh, so, yeah, we're going to shift for uh, a little bit now. We're going to talk what Tammy is working on or, or what you just worked on. And it's actually going to start airing, as I said, on Apple TV+. Plus Around the time this airs, it is the show Surface. Do uh, you want to tell us a little bit about this?
2: Yeah, so uh, Surface uh, stars Gugu Mabathra, who I worked with in Beyond the Lights, and she actually recommended me and uh I had a zoom interview with sam miller and um who I just i loved I may destroy you, so I was so excited to meet him <laughs> <laughs> and he is just uh so creative and so really wanted this to to be visually different and handheld. And, you know, even though it was an elevated, very styly world they lived in, he really wanted it to uh, try to push it to the extremes for to capture what she was feeling. She's a woman who has lost a significant part of her memory due to an accident. And so now she's back in the world, but is not quite sure who to trust trust her best friend her husband she's not sure if the story that they're telling her she doesn't remember anything so she's putting the pieces together by what they tell her what her life was like and her life was very fancy and beautiful and beautiful clothes and beautiful home and country house she doesn't quite feel that that she's that person so we we use the uh swing and shift lenses a lot to play with the focus and so that to blur the edges in the same way that she was seeing the world very blurry
1: just for our listeners can you describe what the swing and shift lens is and like how like what sort of image do you end up getting from it
2: so the lens is is actually on a bellows like it was for a still camera we started using it. i don't we used to use them all the time in music videos matt mahern really made it famous and all of his um teen spirit uh nirvana videos <laughs> so you have the ability to put uh, half of the frame, a quarter of the frame, out of focus by s- literally swinging and shifting the billows on the lens. So you can selectively choose uh, what you want to be in focus. So back then, when we used them on videos, we did not. have It was extremely difficult to pull focus because the operator had to pull focus. So until recently they uh, amazing camera assistants have devised a way that they can pull on their prestance, their remote focus because now these days we stare at a monitor we don 't pull off the lens it stares at a monitor and pulls focus so uh, that was really a game changer for using it more in narrative um, it's still very tricky because when a character moves obviously it's it's amazing for still photography or if it's just one locked off setup and you're like i want the whole bottom to be out of focus okay but now when i walk closer to you suddenly my whole face is out of focus so but now having the ability to pull focus and keep changing which part of the lens is out of focus has has made it's still it's still tricky there was still definitely moments where you'd play back the tape you're like well her mouth was completely <laughs> <done."> <laughs> <laughs> You can see someone, it's hard to see someone talking for too long with their mouth. It's just
0: completely, completely yeah, out of focus. Yeah, suddenly it's not art so anymore. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> You're
2: focusing on that, just well, one. I'll
0: tell you, that that using that swing shift lens was, uh, these the, the first two episodes is extraordinary. And, and the way it captures, you know, uh, it, for if you can't place where you might have seen this in use. Consider, you know, when you see a shot where things look, where a cityscape looks miniaturized, right? For those who are listening, that's another sort of trait. When you use this, this lens uh, on a landscape, you can, you know, create that miniature look. It's really great for, you know, I use it for architectural photography, allows you to shoot really tall buildings and make sure everything's in focus. It's really
1: great. But a big big film example would be social network of the boat race, uh, the boat race in that, was done
0: little that. tiny boats yeah uh, <laughs>
1: which is amazing
0: the the range of uh use of that lens in these first two episodes is extraordinary. Tammy, I kept like, I was forehead smacking myself. I would kept thinking she is so bold to be playing with this. I cannot imagine the, just, and that just. That tr- was
2: Sam. Every time I would, cause you know, you think at any moment, someone's going to be like, enough of this.
1: Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
2: like, a down from Apple. that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, but, you know, in context of the story, and this is why I was like, of course, they chose the this method to, to be a part of this story about this woman who is dealing with uh, this amnesia and not being able to remember everything prior to this accident. I'm like, th- it was such a like a smart way to inform us of like this kind of this closed view of the world that she has, like she just can't there's nothing out there. And I found that to be so interesting. And there are some shots that just are really striking in the way that like she feels so separated from everything, the way that you were using that lens. I mean, it was really right. uh, exciting to see. Yeah,
2: We just, I mean, the more we would usually shoot, you know, two cameras, one with the We use the um, tribes, the black sevens, these new ones, they're old class and refurbished. So they pull focus easily. And, and and there were such a beautiful match to that. But every time you would, Sam and I would be looking at the monitor. We would only be watching the swing and shift. We'd be like, it's amazing, <laughs> 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 it's mesmerizing, especially when we're shooting the exteriors of San Francisco.
0: Oh, so uh, luscious! We
2: rented a double decker bus for a day to do. Like so many of without actors to do, and it just miniaturize the city. We were just like, wow, you know. Especially as the sun was setting, and you're on those hills. Yeah, it could bring something in the background so close to you that it looked like a miniature set. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's it, it really is perfect for and and for the set of the story uh, is it it just it it makes San Francisco come alive in a way that I've never seen quite that way. Like you see these, these movies that or these movies and shows that transform cities that I am quite familiar with and, yeah. and make it something new. And I think that's, that's one of the things that you're able to do here.
2: Yeah. Those lenses in Chinatown were so cool. Okay. So
0: cool. So but cool.
2: We also used a lot for when she's seeing the, her when she's waking up in the hospital and, uh, her, her husband is out there. Um, we both love the diving bell, butterfly, and the diving bell. What is it called? Diving bell and butterfly. butterfly. Yes, That's yes. yeah. So um, we, I, you know, read that Julian Schnabel used his own eyeglasses. So I had the prop department go and get me all these different eyeglasses. So prescription. So I found the ones with the biggest ones, and I would put those in front of the lens and just be twisting <laughs> it. when she was waking up. And when she was on the gurney, I was running with the gurney, twisting. The <laughs> and again, I kept looking back at Sam. I'm like, I'm <laughs> <not> <laughs> looking, waiting again for someone to be like, enough already. <laughs> enough. Apple said, stop. <laughs> 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 Nobody did.
0: <laughs> it's it's fantastic. I I actually I I love a, a comment on uh, reflecting on on working with Apple. This feels very much like you're already in the MCU, right? You've you've got your you've got your cloak and dagger credit, which was a great episode, uh, and now you're you're working for Apple. It's a brave new world. These streaming services. What's your experience working on on a show like this?
2: Well, I mean. Apple was really fantastic. They were very, you know, they they, they care very much about the visuals and to and be interesting and strong. And, you know, it all the Apple shows are. They're very visual, you know. So that was exciting.
1: It's got to be nice, uh, you know, being in that space where you're working with a, a director who's exciting to collaborate and play with these tools. I mean, we, we talk about this on the show quite a bit. It's like when filmmakers take advantage of the full range of tools that they have to tell their story in a, in a creative way that kind of enhances what we're watching, it's very exciting. And we don't always see that. But those moments where we do. And I, I think it speaks to what we have just been talking about with Cassavetes and a woman under the, under the influence and this and like, and how, um, you and the director and Apple as kind of the people who are behind it allowed it all to kind of come together to create something that, um, really stands out. And, uh, it's pretty exciting to see.
2: Yeah. Was-
1: After this, like, what are you working on now? Do you have something else that, uh, that's, uh, in the pipes?
2: Yeah, I'm starting the Morning Show season 3. Have you done the you haven't done any no. of the
1: Morning Show yet?
0: No. Oh, I'm very excited to see you on the Morning Show. <laughs> can I can you tell me a little bit about how it works? Like how many so you just did two episodes, you did the pilot and episode 2 of Surface and uh, do how does that work in terms of you defining the look of the show and then how does that work with you coming on a show like the morning show that already has a strong sort of It'll visual it's the
2: first time i've come on to a show really yeah
1: is it like, I mean, do you have, uh, cause I mean a show typically has like the Bible and this is like kind of the characters and all this. Is there also something for you as far as like, this is typically like the types of lenses we like to use with the show and this is the look and all of that that, or are you allowed to kind of say, well, can I play around with some things as I come into this season?
2: Yeah. They want you to play around. They want to, yeah. Okay. I mean, certain things have to stay the same. That's awesome. So it is anything. It'll be the first time that I come onto to something that is already established
0: I'll tell you, uh, Tammy,
1: we think you're extraordinary. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Uh, You have an amazing eye and just the stuff that you capture and the projects you've worked on. It's all just very exciting and such interesting projects. So, so keep it up. Do you have a website or any place where people can uh, like look at the stuff that you've done or uh, I don't know, do you use social media that you post Uh, photos or anything? My uh,
2: website is on uh, DDA, DDA Talent.
1: Gotcha. Okay. We will put that in the show notes, and uh, I guess that's everything. So, uh, Tammy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. We had a wonderful conversation. Uh, for everybody else out there, we hope you like the show, and we will see you next time here in the Speakeasy. Oh, yeah. I forgot the exclamation point.
0: <laughs> Plus, by using those links to buy your next read, Apple and Amazon show us a little bit of love, which allows you to support our family of shows with minimal effort.
1: the slash Originals. It's a great way to support the show and find your next page turner. That's right.
0: Head over to the slash Originals to pick out your next read and dig in today.